0: You're listening to Sermon Audio from First Baptist Church of Van Holstein. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. I hope that you are aware, uh, especially if you've been here much at all, uh, that what we sing here at First Baptist Church is very important to us, and when you see that we are striving to be a church that is biblically based and Christ-centered and gospel-driven, we try as best we can to run everything through that filter, you might say, and so the songs we sing uh, are very intentionally songs that we believe are biblically based, Christ-centered, and gospel-driven, and when we open God's word together, uh, we want to give our attention to uh, those things that matter most. And uh, so I love to worship with you. Uh, That last song uh, that we just sang, um, "Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery," that's a that's a modern day hymn. Uh, In fact, Christy and I will be uh, out the next couple of Sundays. Jace will be preaching uh, a short series on prayer, so look forward to that. Uh, But Christy and I next Sunday will be heading down to uh, Corpus Christi for our Southern Baptist of Texas Convention. And Matt Boswell. Uh, who was one of the writers of that song, along with Matt Papa and um, who else is it? Michael Bleeker, I think it is, uh, will be at the convention, and will actually be preaching, and I think he's going to be leading in some worship as well. And just as a little side note, you may not realize this, but he uh, has planted a church in Salina. Uh, It's called the Trails Church. Um, It's not as awesome as our church, okay? Just in case you were thinking you might want to... No, I'm I'm totally kidding there. Great guy, uh, just really, really awesome. In fact, his dad... Uh, is uh, also a representative uh, for the Southern Baptist of Texas Convention. And so, a great ministry family, and it's just cool to know that uh, God is still inspiring great music. Uh, Some of you are old enough to remember when the Gaithers were like the new thing, okay? And then you looked up one day and you're like, hey, there's like Gaither songs in our hymnal, right? Uh, And then there was a guy named Chris Tomlin who came along, and some of you look at him and go, wow, there's a Chris Tomlin song in our hymnal, you know? Uh, How great is our God, and I suspect if they continue to print hymnals, uh, then you'll probably see that song in your hymnal, Uh, and so God is still inspiring great music, and I love, love that. Uh, Well, this morning, we are concluding our current sermon series through the book of Galatians. Um, Paul's case, he's been making a case here uh, against the Judaizers, the the false teachers who who were infiltrating, uh, really, the churches of Galatia. And so that has kind of concluded. He has demonstrated decisively from not only the Galatians' experience, but from Scripture itself, that entrance into God's family and the freedom that that offers comes by faith in Jesus Christ through the power of the Spirit and not by the flesh fulfilling the works of the law. He has applied these truths to the specific decision that the Galatians were facing over whether or not uh, to be circumcised. Uh, and to the, uh, the division that that was causing within the Galatian churches. And now he finishes his letter, and he does it in a very personal way. Um, he says, essentially, look carefully at these false teachers. And in contrast, look carefully at me. Consider the ministry to which God has uh, called me, he seems to be saying, and recognize where the cross-shaped work of God is to be found. False teaching uh, in that day and certainly in our day often has a strong appeal. And I think the reason is because it avoids the scandal of the cross. Uh, It will always lack the substance of the true gospel, whether it's uh, the more modern prosperity gospel that we see being proclaimed uh, all over the place uh, or some other form of an adulterated, polluted gospel as we see here uh, I, I liken it to this. It's like a caramel-covered onion. Uh, when I was in student ministry years ago, we would play this game where, you know, you would have these caramel-covered apples, and the part of the relay was coming down and chomping down on one of those. Well, you know, you would set up somebody with a caramel-covered onion, and I always took a great deal of delight in watching some kid run down there, <laughs> and it's just like, ah, this is so disgusting. Um, that's kind of what false teaching does. On the surface, it seems appealing, it looks good, it looks like, hey, this is something I probably should give my attention to. When you really bite into it, you find that, that, that what's inside uh, is, is quite disgusting, actually. And so, embracing the true gospel involves choosing the way of the cross. It means joining in Christ's sufferings and experiencing even the rejection in this world as our hearts place their hope in the new creation that has begun in Christ's resurrection. Now, our text today alerts us to the tragic irony of what is taking place in the Galatian churches. The false teachers appear to call these believers, these Christians, to a stricter and a higher way of life. But in the end, their teaching only produces the outward appearance of holiness. Even the teachers themselves, Paul makes it clear here, do not in reality keep the law. At the same time, though Paul's gospel casts off the yoke of external related rules, in reality, the message of grace through Christ creates a radical life transformation from within. You see, often false gospels, false teaching will suggest that what you need to do is you need to better yourself in order to find favor with God. That's, that's fundamentally what religion is, in a sense. It is man saying, this is what I need to do to get to God. But we believe biblical Christianity, the true gospel, a true unadulterated gospel, says this is God coming down to man. And that's the distinction that Paul is making here. And so we're talking about an inward transformation uh, by the grace of God. And so we are to be crucified to this world, brought into a new life, brought into a new family, a a new creation. And it's only this reality that is capable of producing true godliness. And so Paul is summing things up here in these final verses of Galatians. Let's look at it together. Verses 11 through 18. I hope that you'll follow along as I read. Paul writes, so with "'See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. "'It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh "'who would force you to be circumcised "'and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. "'But even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, "'but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh.' The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. So, up until now, the Apostle Paul has dictated this letter through what would be called a scribe. That was a, a common uh, way to write a letter like this, uh, what we call a book of the Bible. This is an epistle uh, that is being written here. And he says, but, but notice what he says here See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand, in verse 11. So Paul now picture him taking the pen, the quill, in his own hand, and he pens personally pens the conclusion to this letter. Well, let's pause here and ask ourselves, why is that significant? Why did Paul include this? It would not have been uncommon for a New Testament writer to conclude a letter by signing their own name, much like any one of us would sign something. Uh, to, uh, to validate its authenticity and so forth. And so it would be a lot like a signature, essentially saying, yes, this is truly my letter to you, signed lovingly, the Apostle Paul, or whatever. Uh, and so that, that way the recipients would know that the letter was actually from that particular writer. But this time, Paul doesn't just sign his name. Uh, he writes a conclusion and a summary, really, of the entire letter. And notice that he does so, he says, in large letters. Now some people would guess, some scholars even would say that that's because Paul had bad eyesight. Uh, it's those same people who would say that Paul's thorn in the flesh was likely something associated with his vision, with poor vision or whatever. And, and certainly that's a possibility, that's certainly a valid thought. But I think it's also possible that Paul is taking the pen in hand at the end of this letter as if to underline and highlight his central message. It's the only time in any of his letters that he provides really a concluding summary of his book or of of his letter in this particular way. So let me tell you why I think that's important. One reason is that Paul thinks it's important, and that's a good reason. Um, But let me also tell you that it's important because what he is going to say will make or break the church. This is critically important, and I think that's why he wants to emphasize this. What he says in this conclusion can make or break your life. It's vitally important. There's really nothing more important than this when it comes right down to it. So what he says is this. What's most important is that you avoid any false gospel and instead boast in the cross. So, what is most important for you individually, for me individually, and for us as a church is two things that we avoid the false gospel, particularly here of self salvation, and that you instead boast only and exclusively in the cross of Jesus Christ. So, let's consider first what he's saying here avoid the false gospel of self salvation. First thing that Paul says is he picks up his pen is that he warns us. He warns his his readers. He warns against a tendency that we all have. That's a tendency towards self-sufficiency. He warns us of a danger that we will want to contribute something to our salvation. The danger is that we will try to add to the gospel, and by doing so, we will actually subtract from the gospel. It's not that we try to blatantly replace the gospel per se, but we simply add to it, and adding to it destroys it. One commentator said it this way, the greatest mistake made by people is hoping to discover in themselves that which is to be found in Christ alone. Let that sink in for a moment. The most dangerous thing that can happen to us is that we would become proud of our obedience. That's not to suggest that obedience isn't important. I mean, we sing the song after right? trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey, and and certainly that's important. But, But think about this. Our greatest danger, our greatest mistake is that we look to ourselves and even to our obedience rather than to Jesus Christ. And so you see that in verses 12 through 14. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. They desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. You see the the object of the boasting? It's in oneself. It's in the flesh. And so Paul says that there is a counterfeit gospel that will seep into our lives and into our churches. It is one of the greatest dangers we face, the greatest... Uh, danger of the church even today. The counterfeit gospel is that we think we have to contribute to our own salvation, to our own acceptance with God through our own efforts. All through Galatians now, eleven weeks for us together in this book, Paul has been warning against this danger, and it's it's a clear and present danger, and one that seems to be built right into our sinful hearts. You, you ever driven a car that was out of alignment? Um, it, Christy and I, we, we, have, we have two vehicles, and I typically kind of drive mine, and she drives hers, even though they, they're both ours. You know how that works. And so uh, a couple of weeks ago, I jumped in her car to go somewhere, and, and it, it was pulling, like, hard to the right. And so I was like, sweetheart, is it, has it been doing this for a while? Yeah, kind of, you know, it's been, and, and it was. I mean, it was, like, really pulling hard to the right. I said, I got to get this in the shop. I, that's that's kind of like what we're seeing here. It seems like you spend all your time trying to keep the car on the road, to keep it from just veering off into the ditch. The danger that Paul is talking about is the same. Our hearts are out of alignment fundamentally and continually want to veer off toward self-salvation. Toward somehow earning our salvation or proving to God that we are worth and worthy of what he has done for us. It takes a a lot to focus, to resist that drift and keep our eyes on the road or keep our eyes focused on the cross of Jesus Christ. And the danger is that we will try to make a good showing in the flesh, as Paul says here. The danger is doing something external that contributes to our salvation. It's doing something that we think adds to what Jesus has done in order to earn acceptance with God. In Galatians, the key issue is this thing of circumcision, keeping the Old Testament law. But if you think about it, we have our own versions as well. And along with my regular study of God's word and and everything through this series of messages, one of the things that I've been forced to do is to to look in the mirror a bit and ask myself, are there some ways in which I'm practicing some modern-day Phariseeism and some modern-day forms of legalism? You see, we all grew up with a set of boundary markers. For some of us, those, those boundary markers were clearly defined, clearly identified. Uh, it was made clear to you because of the way that you were brought up. Uh, this is a line you don't cross. You don't go past this. We don't do this. We don't do that. You know, all those sorts of things. And, and, and so and growing up, certain external standards of separation became for me a measure of spiritual growth. If you know my story, you know that I grew up in a, in a tribe of the church that, that did preach a gospel, a gospel of by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, but in practice many times, uh, we developed this dangerous attitude uh, that would gauge our spirituality by a lot of external stuff. And so, for example, if someone had asked me about my spiritual life, I would probably... Th- say something or think something like this. Well, I don't do this, and I don't do that. I don't go there, and I don't watch this, and I don't watch that. All those can be good things. Okay, The Bible makes it clear that we are to be distinctly different from the world. But my problem was I I viewed my spirituality through that lens and my acceptance with God through that lens. And the problem with that is if you do at some point perhaps cross one of those boundary markers... Whether it's valid biblically or not, then you feel like, oh my goodness, I've like kind of fallen out of favor with God. You see the danger in this whole way of thinking? and Boundary markers change from culture to culture, but the dynamic remains the same. If people do not experience authentic transformation, that's the key then their faith will deteriorate, listen carefully to this, into a search for the boundary markers that masquerade as evidence of a changed life. And that's incredibly dangerous. This is the danger, that we will pick some external behavior as our contribution to our salvation. And slowly, without even realizing it, we begin to trust in our own righteousness rather than in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. It's insidious. So what's the problem with it? Well, there are two problems. Paul makes it clear here that, first of all, the motivation is all wrong. He, He sees the options here as the gospel On one hand, trusting Christ alone for salvation and some external self-salvation project. And he instantly recognized, wants us to recognize that many of us will do anything that we can to avoid trusting in Christ alone. With the Galatians, there was pressure to get Gentile believers to measure up to the Jewish law to please Jewish Christians who wouldn't understand. But there is something within all of us that balks at trusting in Jesus Christ alone. Our motivation is wrong. Our motivation is to avoid the harsh truth that there is nothing, absolutely nothing, that we can contribute in order to be accepted by God. If there was, then it would cease to be grace. It would cease to be grace. So Paul says, secondly, that those who are pushing for works-based righteousness, they can't themselves keep the standard that they're arguing for even those who are circumcised, he says, do not themselves keep the law. And we hear about it over and over again, even in our culture. You hear of uh, politicians, for example, who helped pass legislation in certain areas. And then you discover later that they were in violation of the very uh, legislation and laws that they were attempting to pass. You hear pastors who can just rail and rant on certain sins. And then you look up one day and you go like, oh, wait a minute. He, he's been living in violation of those standards that he's You see how that happens many times. And so that's the point that Paul's making about these Judaizers. These people who would have you circumcised, who would have you obeying the the, the law for your salvation, they themselves don't do it. They don't even get it. Will Willimon said this, Unable to preach Christ and him crucified, we preach humanity and it improved. That's why we say here often, Jesus Christ did not come to this earth live a perfect sinless life, die on a cruel cross, <laughs> and resurrect from the dead to make good people better. He came and did all those things to make dead people alive. Dead people alive. Only through Jesus Christ. We're always tempted to substitute a, a message of self-improvement, self-salvation for the gospel. It is a false message gospel the only thing that we can contribute to our salvation is the sin that made it necessary that's it we have nothing but need and at the end of his letter paul picks up the quill picks up the pen to emphasize the importance of avoiding the false gospel of self-salvation avoid trying to earn god's approval through your own righteousness so in contrast to that what does paul say we should do instead Number two, the outline's simple today. Boast exclusively in the cross. Boast exclusively in the cross. Not only should we avoid the false gospel of self-salvation, but we should also boast exclusively in the cross. That is what's most important. So Paul writes in verses 14 and 15, Far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me. Remember, I'm dead to that. In times of temptation, I'm dead to that. I'm dead to the things of this world. I'm dead to that worldly agenda. I'm, I'm dead to, the, to the, the pull of the flesh and all those things. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. It's all about transformation by the power of the gospel. And that happens from the inside out, not the outside you ever talk to somebody and, and, and tried to, to, to lead that conversation toward faith and their relationship with God? A gospel conversation? And what you quickly discover many times is they think that they've got to get their outward stuff taken care of before they can come to God. Because God wouldn't accept them any other way, right? I always say it like this. That's like saying, i got to get cleaned up to take a bath. That's how some people view the gospel. They like, man, I gotta gotta quit doing this stuff because I know you Christians don't do that, and especially you Baptists, you don't do that. And so I would have to do this, and I have to give up this, and I have to give up that. And then I could come to faith in Christ. But what does scripture say? In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, the godly for the ungodly. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That is gospel transformation, and that happens only from the inside out. Now, you will notice as you, as you grow in your relationship with God, there may be some things that change about you externally, some priorities that you once held to, some, some things maybe that you gave yourself to and were committed to, and you're like, eh, I'm not so sure that this is what's best for me in my walk with the Lord. But the transformation takes place on the inside. Charles Spurgeon was uh, heard to say, the best sermon is that which is the fullest of Christ. And he went on to say, preach Christ always and everywhere. He is the whole gospel. His person, his offices and work must be our one great all comprehending theme. So to understand this passage, we've got to understand some things. First of all, we all tend to boast in something. Now, You may think of yourself as as humble, and I, I hope that you are. I mean, I think we all kind of, you know, we, we, we don't do so well at evaluating ourselves. Um, but but the truth is this: we all, in some form or another, tend to boast in something, in some accomplishment, some characteristic, some relationship. We boast in something. I was reading this last week in preparation for this morning's message about the North Korean uh, leader Kim Jong Il. Uh, he reportedly took a daily, extensive, intensive memory training that involved memorizing huge amounts of information. Uh, Kim was quoted as saying, I remember all computer codes and telephones that workers are using now. I'm like, wow. At a meeting in 2002, North Korean officials said that they were impressed with Kim and uh, his ability to recall all of their telephone numbers with lightning speed. His his memory was not only the the only amazing thing attributed to this guy. Supposedly, he wrote operas and piloted uh, fighter jets and produced movies. But North Korean propaganda, check this out, went a bit too far when it stated about Kim's golfing prowess. Listen to this. Those of you who golf, you'll really appreciate this. The story goes that the first time Kim Jong-il ever played a round of golf He shot 11 holes in one. That's when you're like, come on, man. (laughs) Like, come on. (laughs) And we laugh at that. (laughs) And rightfully so. His boasts are obviously extreme. They're an extreme version of what we all have a tendency to do. And I'd be the first to admit there have been times in my life and even in my ministry where I maybe stretch the truth just a tad. You know, say something in a certain way to make yourself look just a little bit better than you really are. You know, I saying when you tell stories, you become a legend in your own mind. We can do that. We look to some accomplishment, some talent, to validate our importance. To say essentially that we measure up. Boasting is more than just bragging, though. It is according to John Stott to boast in, to glory in, to trust in, to rejoice in, to revel in, love for something. The object of our boast or glory fills our horizons, engrosses our attention, absorbs our time and energy. In in a word, our glory is our obsession. Everybody boasts in something. It could be your popularity, your intellect, your appearance, your influence, your income, your job performance. It could be your religious accomplishments. Remember when you study the life of the Apostle Paul, what, 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 would, he, what would he say when he, was, when he was talking to those who would, would come at him? He was like, hey, if anybody has a religious resume, it's me. What's was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. So it can be our religious accomplishments. I would suggest that there are people perhaps sitting in this room and in rooms just like this all over the world today in a worship service who feel like are completely convinced that they themselves are in a right relationship with God, not through faith in Jesus Christ, but because they're checking off religious boxes. I'm attending a worship service after all. I'm singing the songs. I'm praying the prayers. I'm doing the stuff. That's really kind of what Paul's getting at here. You can't let even your religious accomplishments, as good as those things may be in and of themselves, become for you a polluted false gospel. This is is interesting. But our boasting our obsession, our identity should ultimately come from one place only, and that is the cross of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says, far be it for me to boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is a little strange, honestly, because today we think of the cross as something noble and beautiful. In fact, we make jewelry out of it, right? But in Paul's day, it was the ugliest thing possible. You have to realize it would be considered impolite to even mention the cross or crucifixion in polite society and in certain settings. The Romans considered the cross to be degrading, disgusting, despicable, detestable, disgraceful in every way, according to commentator Phil Reichen. But Paul says that this is his boast. Paul looked at the cross and he saw that God loved us enough to send his son to die for us. He he looked at the cross and saw his salvation. Christ has paid the full price for our salvation. We've been forgiven and justified. God's wrath has been turned away and we now stand innocent before a holy God. Don't boast in anything else. Boast only in the cross. But there's a problem. You can't boast in the cross and yourself at the same time. One of the best ways it was ever explained to me, and I've I've repeated this many times over, there will be no one in heaven strutting around thinking, I pretty much deserve all this. Like I had this coming. (laughs) Because you're such an amazing individual. No, no. Anybody who spends eternity with God will be there solely and completely by the grace of God. Because you have received something that you did not deserve, and on the other side of that, you've you've even experienced His mercy, whereby you did not get something that you do deserve, which is death and hell and punishment forever. John Stott again said it this way: If only we have humbled ourselves as hell-deserving sinners, shall we give up boasting of ourselves, fly to the cross for salvation, and spend the rest of our days glorying? in the cross. Here's the third thing I want you to see. When we boast in the cross, it changes everything. Paul here says that the world has been crucified to him. The cross completely changes what we value and what we care about. Pastor Tim Keller puts it this way, he says, the gospel changes what I fundamentally boast in. It changes the whole basis for my identity. Therefore, nothing in the whole world has any power over me. I am free at last to enjoy the world, for I do not need the world. I feel neither inferior to anyone nor superior to anyone, and I am being made all over into someone and something entirely new. Ring a bell? Paul wrote in another of his letters to the Corinthians, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things passed away. All things become new. That's life transformation. The gospel completely changes what we boast in. It completely completely changes our identity and our values. And when the cross grips us, we begin to see it as the only thing that truly matters. Paul wants us to get this. That's why at the end of his letter here, he picks up the pen and he wants us to get what matters most. And that is what he says. Don't you ever think it's up to you to measure up. Put all of your confidence, all of your boasting in what Jesus Christ has done for you. If you're going to brag about anything, brag about Jesus and his saving work. That's it. Paul concludes this letter with a few simple words. He summarizes once again for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Here's essentially what he's saying this is all that matters. From now on, he says, let no one have any more confusion about the gospel. Let let nobody bother me with false versions of the gospel, he says. But he's glad to be part of the people of God who get the gospel. And he prays that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ would be with the Galatians as they avoid, at all costs, false gospels and boast instead in the cross. So I don't know about you, but I imagine Paul looking at the scroll of this letter. Having pointed to Jesus, his job is done. He puts the pen down, gives the nod to his scribe for the letter to be delivered. Having brought your attention to a great Savior, I can say that I've done what I've been commissioned to do. My only desire is that you would see Jesus. My only desire is that you would glory in the cross, that Christ would be your greatest joy and your deepest glory. And having done this, my job is done. I can put the pen down. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Mm. How powerful is that? So let's pray together. Father, What a miracle is your word. Lord, we acknowledge today that it is not just good literature. On the same level as some literary classic, your word is inspired, God breathed. And we are mindful today of the fact that By your Holy Spirit, you breathed these very words through the personality and the giftings of the Apostle Paul. So Lord, help us to accept this challenge, to avoid any any false gospel that would be a mixture of Jesus plus anything else. And that we would exclusively boast in the cross of Christ. My prayer now, Lord, is that if there's anyone here today that has never turned from their sin to faith in you, that by your Holy Spirit and the power of your word, they would be drawn to you today. That they would come to know and understand it's not about better behavior. It's not about gritting their teeth and determining to do better and be a better person. It's about being made new, brought to life spiritually. Through faith in Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. And it's in that that we boast. Lord, we acknowledge today that left to ourselves, we would be lost, completely lost, spiritually dead. And we rejoice today that we can be made alive through faith in Jesus Christ. May that be our boast. We love you. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Van Alstine. For more information about our church, visit www.fbcva.com.